Style Rap. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This, this, this is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, coaches, parents, players. Welcome to the 8020 baseball get together. A couple things right off the bat. World Series just ended. What a great World Series. What a great postseason. What a great season. Really fun to watch. And I know we're coaching youth baseball in this podcast, focuses mainly on youth baseball. But overall, that baseball season was phenomenal. The Astros won the World Series. A couple thoughts on the Astros that I have to bring up. We've talked a little bit about the Astros over the years, and I do like to use the major league teams, the professional players, these players that we all see, that we see highlights of, that we see on TV, that we see on social media, that we read about. So all these players that we see that we know in common, and I like to use them, as I've said before, as reference points, although Major League Baseball is different in some ways than youth baseball and very different in some ways. A lot of ways it's the same. It's baseball's baseball's baseball, right? But I wanted to hit on something I thought was interesting because when the Astros got popped for cheating. I thought, well, one, how much were they cheating? How much? The question was, how much were they doing it? How much did it help? What's the difference that it made? And as time has gone on, it's very clear, at least to me, maybe I'm completely wrong with this, but it seems pretty clear to me that they were just a really good team. They've always been a really good team and it's a very well-run organization. And the more they win and the more they continue to win over all these years, the less I'm thinking that this cheating that they did really made a big difference at all. I'm not saying it didn't, I don't know. What we do know is cheating is not the way to go about things and it's going to get you and it's not the way to go about life. It will catch up to you. It's not the way definitely to coach up players. That's the absolute opposite of what you should be doing to players and coaching them up to cheat in any ways or even do things that are not of high value, of high principle, of high moral, high ethics. So they cheated. Did they get punished enough? I think a lot of people think they didn't get punished enough. And as a coach, we want to make sure that our consequences match the rules that was broken, the infraction that took place. And at the youth level, I think there should be a longer leash. There should be a longer leash. There should be a tiered consequence system. There should be more tiers. Youth baseball, there should be more second chances, of course, than the professional adult level game. And you could make a real good argument that they didn't get punished enough. And to draw from that, I know it's a little different with youth players and what we're doing out there with our teams and our kids. You have to be careful when you lay down or set forth a consequence or enact a consequence or at the beginning of the season, lay it out and clarify exactly what the consequence is going to be for certain infractions, certain rules that are broken. And you really have to make sure that you match the consequence to the infraction. And so I think you could make the argument that the Astros weren't punished enough. Did that curb other cheating in baseball? I think that's something that time will tell. And I want to also point or shine a light on something that we can learn from. The Houston Astros, from the bottom to the top of the organization, definitely the leader over the years. I get it. They did some stuff that wasn't at all acceptable or good by any means, but they have done a lot of things really well, much better than other teams. And that's why they're in the situation or in their position where they're continuing to win more. And they are very out of the box with how they run their organization in a lot of ways. In fact, they did some things and they've done some things with their scouting department, how they sign players, how they coach up players, much different than most of the other 
other teams. And they've been at the front. They've thought different. In fact, last night I was watching with my wife and I watched Steve Jobs movie, the one with Ashton Kutcher. I hadn't seen it before. There's a couple Jobs movies. I've read the Steve Jobs book. It's amazing. It's 650 or some odd pages and it's really hard to put down. It's really, really great by Walter Isaacson. There's another Steve Jobs movie that's really good. And then the one with Ashton Kutcher, it was a good movie. It's a shorter movie, but it was really good. And I was watching that last night and his thing is think different. Apple, think different. There's a lot of things behind Apple. I get it, but think different. Now I think saying think different, and I think most all of you would agree with this, thinking different just to think different isn't always, just being contrarian for contrarian sake is not a good way to live life, especially if you don't have a lot of good answers or better solutions than what you already know or what you've already heard. But that said, I think it's always good to ask, is there a better way to do whatever it is we're doing? That's why I said a long time ago, I'm really a big fan of focusing and working the process, but never taking our eyes off the results because that is driving us. So we always want to improve our results by fine tuning our process and making sure our process is dialed in. And it's the best process to follow. And the Astros process is much different, has been a lot different. Other teams are now copying them, of course, but it's something we can learn from as a coach. And this is something that's really held back the baseball coaching community, the youth coaching community. And I think a big reason why the youth baseball coaching community has been very stagnant and progress has been very slow, snail-like. In many cases, it's gone backwards. Not all coaches. I'm just speaking generally here, of course. Just generally, the the baseball coaching community. I think a big part of that is the natural feeling or sense when you go out there as a coach, definitely a new coach or a youth coach, to just kind of follow along with what you see out there or what you were coached to do. To just follow along with the status quo, to fit in, to do nothing that draws too much attention in terms of being different. And I want to be very upfront. When you go out there and use the stuff that we talk about here, some of it may be very different. Hopefully it is different than what you're seeing out there. And that's the idea. That's the competitive advantage. Okay. Because if you're doing it just like everybody else, there's no competitive advantage. And then it just boils down to who's got better players, flip of the coin on certain days, the ball bounces a certain way, but you can go out there. There's so many competitive advantages because the general, the vast majority of the youth baseball community, coaching, playing is just following one path. It's following that same path or slow growth or just really timid in terms of changing things up and trying to improve and thinking out of the box or the unwillingness or being uncomfortable taking a risk and to be different. Well, I'll tell you what, the Astros for a long time now have not worried or cared about what other people thought in terms of looking different. They didn't care what outsiders thought. They cared about their team and their culture and their community, their organization from within what people thought, but they didn't care what outsiders thought. And that's why they're, that's one of the reasons they're winning so much is because they don't care what the other coach and the other team looking over or the team that's waiting for the next practice is looking at their drill and saying, what are they doing? They know that they are on the path. Now, obviously they're really bright minds running it and doing a lot of things. And there's a lot of proven results and and they're not just making things up as they go. They're really just saying, what is there a better way? How do we know it's proven? How do we know it's going to be effective? At the end of the day, the Astros very deserving. And it's always great when teams that think out of the box win. And more often than not, they do. If they think out of the box, but they also don't just be contrarian to be contrarian, they think out of the box based off of proven stuff that's already out there, stuff to find evidence that's already out there. They just start connecting the dots a lot better. And then they're not afraid. They're not unwilling to go for it and to do it a different way. As a youth coach, you have to have the confidence knowing and going out there and trusting what you're doing and not just trying to fit in in that coaching world in your community, in your area, and trying to just do what everybody else is doing so you don't look different, this and that. Now, of course, you're not going to look crazy different. You're playing 
playing the same sport everybody else is playing. The bases are at the same spot in the same location. The field's the same. The rules are the same. So it's not going to look entirely different, but it will look different. And you have to be okay with that. If you're not okay with that, you're not going to have growth and you're not going to take advantage of all these competitive advantages just sitting there. And also you're not going to build up these players as well as we can be building them up because the baseball coaching community, the baseball community, the youth sports community, and for that matter, has a long way to go. I think in terms of everybody, or at least 90% of coaches, 95% of coaches being on the same coaching path. And that is coaching kids up with praise, discipline, hard work, hustle, caring about the kids, instilling that team first mindset. So you cannot be afraid to think different, to be a little different, to go out there and know, just take what we're talking about here and go out and use it. So you're not having to go out there and make it up. You're not having to go out there and guess. You know what you're going out there with is going to work. It does work. Go out there, use it. You'll see that it works. If you're not already seeing that it works, I get a lot of emails. (laughs) A lot of coaches having a lot of success all the way from the college level down. And most of my emails are coming from youth coaches in that 8U, 10U, 12U, having success with this. So you're not going out there guessing and crossing your fingers and hoping. You know this is going to work. Go out there and use it, but don't be afraid to be different. The Astros did it and they are the world champs. Speaking of coaching, you should be proud of yourself for stepping up and coaching. I just want to say it right now. I'm going to kind of segue into this little message here. You should be proud of yourself for coaching. I thought about this recently. It's like, you should be proud that you're a coach. You should be proud of yourself. Now, don't get too prideful. I think that can get us all in a lot of trouble and it starts getting in in with the ego and that's never a good thing. But you should be proud of yourself that you're a coach. You're dedicating, allocating a lot of time to your role as a coach. And that is something to feel really good about. I just think you should feel good about yourself being, about you being a coach. Sure, it's not your day job and it's not as significant as your role as a parent or a guardian, but it's a big deal. What you are doing as a coach to help guide youngsters toward more success, not just in the game of baseball, more importantly, their life ahead, that's something to be very proud of. Now that you've taken this praiseworthy step of dedicating time to serve and guide your kids, players, and team, don't stop there. That's a big first step, but let's complete the great role of being a coach by going out there to the field very prepared with a proven plan. And that's where 8020 Baseball comes in to support you, to guide you, and to get you to where you want to be. And that's to be a great coach. Now, let's dive in a little deeper into this week's episode. We're going to jump into an interview. I'm going to splice in an interview from the interim Wisconsin football coach, Jim Leonard. And Jim Leonard says something here about execution over emotion. And I know we want to be kind to our players, to praise our players, to love on our players. And we need to learn to blend emotion, coaching to the emotion with execution. And there was this tweet. I got this video. I saw the video on a tweet by Kyle Wagner. So Kyle, if you're listening, thank you. You sent this out a while back. And the tweet was execution over emotion. Stop saying who wants it more and start saying focus and do your job. Now, youth sports isn't so much a job, but focus, execute, do your best. And that goes for anything in life. It's not so much about why I tried hard. I tried hard. Did you get it done or did you not get it done? Or at least are you getting better and getting closer to getting it done? And I thought this was an interesting way and our society is getting more into the emotions and things like that and less into results. And I think results, I think focusing on results can absolutely coexist and run hand in hand, 
arm in arm with being a better person or coaching up our players to be better people. The results, this is like, oh, you're just coaching to the scoreboard. No, I want results with my kids. I want the result of my kid when they're older, my kids when they're older to be X and Y or Z. And I think if we just focus on trying and emotions, there's a lot of wiggle room there towards just getting it done. Are you becoming better? And I think it's the person that hurts the most is our players. And then it hurts whoever's doing it to themselves. And they're saying, well, coach, but I wanted it more. I, I'm telling you I want it more. It's a lot of kind of these like talking points rather than getting things done. And I think getting things done can happen with kindness and praise and being a better coach in terms of caring about our players, but also teaching them better strategies and teaching them to get out there and really focus better, to stay more attentive. Just things that really are great skills to have in life and great ways to go about life. With that said, here is Coach Leonard in a post-game interview from a few weeks back. Yeah, my challenge all week really was how can we execute, right? How well can we execute as a team? It hasn't been to our standard. Do it over and over again. And uh, I think the guys bought into that. You know, Do your job. And then the effort comes into play, right? I think we had some guys trying to do a little bit too much early, trying to just out-effort people rather than out-execute them. And uh, just settle down, get handled what you need to early. And yeah, then you turn it into another gear. And I thought our guys focused on that this week and the execution was significantly higher and the, and the penalties didn't, didn't hurt us that much. All right, that's a short clip right there. But I think it says a lot in terms of wanting it. And we can coach our players. You, How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? The effort. So you talked about, it's not about who wants it more. It's about who's going to focus and do their job better. And I think there's a lot to this. And I think we could unpack this a lot further, but I wanted to get this out there. I wanted to get this thought in your head about coaching more on execution versus emotion. Now, building up our players, their foundations, we can bring emotion into that, passion into that. Sure, we can adjust to their emotions and work and kind of use those to better serve them or understand them. But it's important that we don't go too far away from getting things done, action, action, action. Because at the end of the day, kindness and love, like I've said before, is an action. That's all an action. So we can sit here and say, well, did you think about it? How did you feel? Did you care about it? Sure. But what did you do about it? And I think that's important that we focus more on the doing and less on the thinking and less on the the emotional or, ah, you know, coach, I, I really wanted it. I wanted it really bad. Wanting it bad is one thing, but going out there with a good plan, focus and executing and doing your job, that's a different ball game, I think, in terms of just wanting it bad. I think that's the next step. So don't just stop at wanting it bad, but also finishing the job, finishing whatever it is you're trying to get better at by going out and executing it well. So I just wanted to plant this seed in your minds. I saw this a few weeks ago and I thought, I got to share this because this is really important and probably now more than ever. Of course, I think we should have emotions that drive us to be better. We definitely are going to have emotions. We're human beings, but we need to not go too far down the emotional path and start focusing on the action and taking action, doing things. And again, like I said, that's not just the scoreboard, but that's also a better team culture. It's action. It's not about necessarily wanting it more. It's about what are you doing to get there? And are you showing that you're doing it rather than talking about it or thinking about it? So I'll leave it there. I thought that was just a good point about it's not about who wants it more. It's hey, focus and get your job done. Focus and be a good teammate. Focus and be where you need to be. Focus and hustle. Show that you want it more. Go out there and be coachable. Hey, I want it more. Well, be on time to practice. Hey, coach, I really want it. Okay, what are you doing this week to get better from last week? But coach, I really want it. I really want this. Okay, well, how much extra time are you putting in this on the side? Are you hitting an extra 30 minutes a week? Are you taking an extra 30 minutes or an hour of ground balls a week? Do you want it? Are you saying you want it or do you really want it? 
you're just saying you want it, that's well, that's step one. But step two is showing and taking the actions that show you want it. And that really does start with focus and goes from there. All right, transitioning to the quote of the week, John Wooden again. Ooh, just so many good quotes. John Wooden was one of the best, if not the best coach at having his players or getting his players to genuinely believe that he does care. And he genuinely did, genuinely did care about his players. But he also got the results in terms of, like I was talking about just a second ago, or Coach Leonard, execution. So he cared and loved on his players, but he also had them execute. The two can go together. The two need to go together in life. And Coach Wooden's quote of the week here at 8020 Baseball is, quote, a coach is someone who can give correction without resentment. I'll say it again. A coach is someone who can give correction without resentment. Do you take your players' mistakes personally? You need to ask yourself that. It's important to ask ourselves if we are responding with tension or anger or frustration out of players' mistakes, are we taking it personally? Also, are we by default believing or thinking that it was the player's fault that they were incorrect? Do we think it was the player's fault? Is that kind of right away initially if a player makes a mistake? Do we just assume that it was the player's fault that they were incorrect. A lot of you can kind of see where I'm going with this, I think, already. We need to ask ourselves, are the players really messing up and screwing up to spite us, to get back at us? Are they really doing it to be rebellious? Are they really doing that? Uh, I'm not saying that once in a while in a blue moon. I've never had a player do that that I saw. I've never had a player ever do that. I'm sure there's players that have done that, but how often, how rare is that, that a player just goes out there and they make the air, they screw up, they look bad just to get you to look bad or to get you upset. Can we give correction without resentment? Those three things that I just described there are is resentment or re resentment towards the player. All right, I'm going to add something here. This is post recording. I'm going back and adding this little part right here. The resentment that John Wooden's talking about here could be correcting a player without having them become resentful. And obviously that is huge. That's really a big deal. The way I'm utilizing it here to coach up a coaching message and to work on our communication as coaches is under the umbrella of our reaction to their mistake, our reactions as coaches to their mistakes. Do we resent them for messing up? Do we resent them for not listening to what we're saying and being coachable, maybe ignoring what we're saying or the perception that they might've ignored it or didn't listen? So that's where I'm coming out with this message. I wanted to dub this in. This is a post recording. I usually don't go back and add in things. I usually looking to take things away. But as I was listening to this on the double edit job that I do with my editor, Sam, I thought, oh, I better clarify this. With that said, let's dive back in. And you have to give correction without resentment. You can't resent your player for making the mistakes. But why do we resent? And that's why I try to break it down there. Is it because we take the mistakes our players make personally? Are we thinking that it was their fault that they were incorrect? So we get mad at them because they messed up. They, it was their fault. They screwed up. They were incorrect. It was on them. What if it was on us? What if it was on us? And there's a lot of great leaders out there. Jocko Willing's one of them. I've talked about him at length on this show. He comes out over and over again and just flat out says there's no such thing as bad teams, just bad leaders. There's no such thing as bad players or bad team culture, just bad leaders, bad coaching, bad management. I think a caveat to that, there may be one-offs. There may be like a player that just one-off has a bad day or has some bad, just misbehaves no matter how great of a coach you are or great of a leader. But overall, the team culture and where the team is going, it's going to be either up to the coach or not up to the coach to set the environment, to set the expectations, to set the practice, the game environment up so they're 
healthy and productive and going in the right direction. They're on the up and up. So it's important. Are we giving correction? As John Wooden said, a coach is someone who can give correction without resentment. That's so important. Just be careful when we do give correction or even feel the need to always correct our players. Just be careful that we're not taking their mistake personally or we get frustrated because we initially or we just deep by default think it was their fault that they were incorrect. A humbling way to look at it is always say when a player makes a mistake, the first thing we ask ourselves is what could we have done different as a coach? So they made they didn't make that mistake or they make that mistake less often. I think that's a really good way to do it. And I would always give the player the benefit of the doubt on the premise that they didn't purposefully mess up despite us to get it back at us, retribution, etc. So again, Coach Wooden, just with the gem of a quote, something to get us thinking, something for us to pay attention to the next time we're out there with our team and with our players. All right, 80-20 baseball coaches, 80-20 community. Let's jump into the last part of the episode. Now, I'm not going to front load this video by Pete Rose. I'm going to play the video, but I will say this. It has to do with the hitting approach, and here it is. Every time I'm anticipating a pitch, I'm looking for a fastball or 99 out of 100 times the guy's hardest pitch and 99 out of 100 times a fastball is a guy's hardest pitch. Now, why? Because if I'm up here like this and I'm looking for a fastball, he can throw anything else that he's got and I can adjust to it. Now, if I'm up here like this and I'm looking for his curveball and he throws a fastball, I don't have time to react. The catcher catches the ball before I even start to swing at it. All right. So Pete Rose talked about being on time for the fastball, be on time and adjust from there. We're going to touch on how it applies to youth baseball and all levels of baseball. Now, the 80-20 baseball approach, plan A, plan two, and then there's plan take, but plan A and plan two, less than two strikes, plan A with two strikes, plan two. That's pitch selection. Now, remember, when I say pitch selection, I'm not talking about the specific pitch they're guessing is going to be coming up there or they're just looking for a pitch, a certain pitch. I'm not a big fan of that. I don't think the results are as good overall. I think that's not the best way to go up there. I think the best way to go up there is hit an area, a location, a hitting zone with less than two strikes and then get the strike zone with two strikes in some of the fringe area of that strike zone. We've talked about that at length. The hitter needs, and I've talked about this a touch, but I wanted to hit on this because Pete Rose, and he's in a couple videos saying this, you know, he had the most hits of all time in baseball. Now, Pete Rose is an old school throwback hitter who hit a lot of line drives and is not a bad player to mimic for most players because he didn't rely on brute strength or athleticism. He wasn't very athletic at all, or at least I never saw him do anything that was remotely athletic, but he did hit line drives. I don't agree with Pete Rose's full hitting philosophy, but being on time for the fastest pitch makes a lot of sense. Now, let me say this youth baseball this doesn't necessarily apply to the seven and the six u's and the eight u's because there aren't a lot of breaking balls at that level i know when you start getting into the 10 11s and definitely 12s there's a lot more breaking balls and now at the college even high school level and definitely the pro level it seems like every other pitch or more often than not it's a breaking ball but with that said i know for those very young players this isn't really going to come into play because they're not really throwing the breaking balls but it's something to coach up as they get older to keep in the back of your mind for those players or you coaches that are coaching those players to be ready for that. And that is the timing of the hitter. They need to be ready and on time for the fastball. So you have the right area you're looking for the pitch to come through. We've hit that a lot with plan A and plan two. You want to be on time for the fastball. And the other big thing I talk about with hitters is that 50-50 balance. I think that's a really big one. And if you want to learn more about that, go YouTube Doug Lotta, L-A-T-T-A, Doug Lotta. I really like a lot of the stuff 
stuff he's putting out there. There's a lot of coaches coaching that up, but the 50-50 balance and weight distribution, go look that up. So you have 50-50 weight distribution, be on time for the fastball and swing at these pitches with less than or in the hitting zone, the discipline of the hitting zone with less than two strikes. And then this is the area we got to teach hitters to hit when there is two strikes. And that is the whole strike zone, how to cover it, how not to go too far out of it, but how to get the fringes. Those three parts, what pitch you swing at, are you on time for the fastball? And how's your weight distribution with your lower half? Because that's really going to dictate what, how, what the upper half does for the most part. Remember the kinetic chain starts at the ground and works up. Everything starts at the ground and works up. Almost every single movement we ever make as human beings starts at the ground and comes up. Now, some moves have a lot less to do with the lower half, but they almost always initially start from the ground and work up. Ground force production is a big part of that in sports, but I'm not going to dive into that right now. But I think what Pete Rose said here, be on time for the fastball and adjust from there. So I believe that would be the way to go. And it all comes back to also, are your batting practices definitely for those levels where off-speed pitches are being thrown, breaking balls are being thrown. Are your batting practices resembling that ratio? Are you throwing in breaking balls and off-speed and changes? Are you mixing it up? Because then the hitters get used to changing, pushing their hands or keeping their hands back a little longer, delaying, they're coming forward with their swing, they're adjusting to the slower pitch. Are you speeding up some fastballs so they're ready for the fastball? Are they on time? Nothing gets by them. He makes a great point about the fastball. If the fastball is by him, it doesn't matter how great a swing he puts on it. It doesn't matter how big of a meatball the pitch was. None of that's relevant because if the fastball gets past the hitter, it doesn't matter. It's just either is it in the strike zone or not. It basically becomes a bullpen session for the pitcher. Be on time for the fastball and adjust from there. That's the way I highly recommend you coach your hitters. Be on time for the fastball and then adjust if need be. Adjust from there. Now, some of you watched the Phillies last week with McCullers on the mound and they appear to be sitting on off-speed pitches, breaking balls and change-ups. And you can go and teach your players to do this, but you really have to trust me on this. That is a whole nother level of baseball right there. That is a whole nother. Those guys have all swung the bat thousands and thousands and tens and tens and tens of thousands of times in their life. So they can do that. They also have terabytes of data. Like I've shared out here. I want to say the baseball game nowadays is pumping out like 10 terabytes of data per game. Last I saw it was like seven terabytes of data per game when you get the Hawkeye information in there or the track man and all that. Not to mention all the other evidence and data and things that they're just visually seeing and the evidence that they're seeing with their own two eyes based off of their years. I mean, you're talking a thousand years of experience in any given dugout. That is a thousand years of baseball experience from the time they started playing up. You have so much experience there. So we just got to be careful that we're not just going, oh, we saw, we saw Kyle Schwarber sitting on a breaking ball and I'm going to, you know, or I saw Bryce Harper doing, or I saw this guy sitting on a breaking ball and he hit a home run. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of times they're sitting on pitches and they're not hitting them. Next week, in fact, I'm going to share a story about a time when we knew every single pitch that was coming before the pitcher even came set or before the pitcher even got the sign. We knew the sign from the other coach. And I'm going to share that with you. This is going to be very interesting for you guys to hear. Trust me on this. So I'll share that out next week. What they were doing, the signs, the specific signs they were doing to the catcher and how it ended up working out for us, knowing every single pitch for an entire seven innings, how it worked out. And you'll see why in a lot of ways we could go through this. There's been a lot of times over the years where we knew the pitches that were coming from teams I played on or the other team knew it was coming and it wasn't as easy as you think. Be ready for the fastball, swing at the right pitches, have a 50-50 weight distribution, at least to start and as you start through the swing and everything else overall is going to work out real nice for your hitters. With that said, it's been very nice being here with all of you. Thank you for being a coach. Go now, 
don't put this stuff into action. Put this stuff into play. No pun intended. Take it out to the field. Use it. And I'll see you back next week. I'm going to share with you some off-season keys, some things right now that should be the off-season priorities. We're going to talk about that next week. I'll share that story about how we knew every pitch. I'm going to show you what the coach was doing. So be here next Tuesday when the weekly episode comes out. This has been Coach Bo. Take care of your health. Take care of your families, your close friends, and take this out there to the baseball field. Take this stuff out there and use it. Put it into action. And until next week, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.